Let me just say in a word of introduction that one of the problems you face here is that you have a timeless God speaking into a time-bound people about a time-later event that's also seen like it's just in front of his face today. And that, that, can, that, can make, that can make it tough to wrap your brain around. There was this one particular theologian that said that the two matters that drove him most close to madness were thoughts of the Trinity and of time. Trinity and time. It's tough to think about time. But God sees the whole of what we call time. He sees it perfectly. He knows it perfectly. And so when he speaks of things often in, uh, that are future for us, they're simply as clear as a bell like right now for him. And if you can remember that as we deal with Revelation 12, you'll be blessed to know that this is future, but it's also now in the face of God. It's right now. And it's no problem for him to hold that tension. It's us who are bound by time that have that tr struggle. Secondly, as you deal with the Revelation 12 and 13, it's important to know that this is, this is parenthetical. This is, you know, God has taken us to an aside and he's letting us understand some of the beginning and the ultimate outcome of what we often call the tribulation. You know, it's like when you tell somebody, let me explain you something, right? God's basically saying, let me explain you something. Let me help you see with some, some finality, some clarity, these very confusing events that sound so, so huge that it's hard for your brain to absorb them. It's almost like he's saying, let me go ahead and spoil the story for you. Let me give you some of the big details so you can be at rest as these things unfold. Go ahead and rest and see that my victory is going to be full and complete and final. So tonight we're going to look at a Part, part A of a two-part story, because 12 and 13 go together. And if I'm already trembling before uh, chapter 12 in one night, then I definitely am not going to keep us here until someone falls out of a window by doing both 12 and 13. Revelation chapter number 12. Uh, and if you know me at all, I like a good fight. And one is brewing here, so knuckles up, baby. Let's go. Revelation chapter 12, verse 1. And a great sign appeared in heaven. Now, church, what, what appeared in heaven? What appeared? I want you to understand. He says, I'm showing y'all something. You get that? I'm showing y'all something. It's important to see that. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. Wow. She was pregnant. And was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Another what, church? Yeah. Right? God is teaching us something through signs here. Don't miss that. Here's where a lot of people, they start trying to figure out the, all the literal of this. And God has clearly said, hey, it's a sign. And here's another sign. Take full permission to see. I'm using huge metaphors to teach you. Huger, I know that's not a word, but I'm going to make it one tonight. Huger truths. Amen, church? And, a, and another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads seven diadems. Wow, what a guy. Verse 4, 
His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to where, church? Ah. Uh. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. Wow. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1260 days. Now war arose in heaven. Michael, this is not Michael Tuck, just for the record, nor is it Michael Farmer, okay? This is another Michael. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels did what, church? Fought back. I think uh, we could say, don't start none, won't be none. Too late. Verse 8. But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. Hallelujah. Say hallelujah, church. Hallelujah. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and a half a time. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from its mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring. I don't know if you know this, but you just entered the story of the Bible right there. You. That's you. We'll get more of that in a moment. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring and on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand and the sea. Let's pray. Father, this is your word. We are your servants. Speak to us. Not that we can say we have dealt with a book of literature but that we have dealt with the oracles of God. In Jesus, I pray, amen and amen. So there's some characters being introduced, and next week we'll see some other, two other characters introduced, and these characters are vital to understanding the last days of the tribulation. Here's a bit of a spoiler alert. We're being introduced to Israel, and then subsequently to the church born out of Israel. We're being introduced to the Savior of 
all that are saved, the Lord Jesus, and then there's these other characters, Satan. And then next week we'll be introduced to the Antichrist and to the great false prophet. Doesn't this sound like fun? And there's basically going to be a gang fight. Everyone is showing up on the scene in these two chapters, and they have on their different color bandanas. They have switchblades and flamethrowers, and there's going to be a huge fight. Isn't this so exciting? And you may say, these things are so glorious and beyond me, and there's so much in the future. How do, they, how do they pertain to me? Well, buckle up and lick your pencil lead, because this is going to bless your socks off, unless you came barefooted, and then it's just going to bless the stink off your feet. Let's begin to meet the characters of the great war of the second half of the tribulation. Without pulling any punches and being just as clear as I can, verses 1 and 2 introduce us to a woman. And let me go ahead and tell you, this woman is Israel. You can go read 15 commentaries and you're likely to read 13 opinions. And whichever two or three of them to tell you this is Israel, that's the ones you need to, you need to keep reading. This is Israel. This is Israel, point blank. How do I know that? I know that from the context. I know that from the rest of the story. You'll see it unfolded more and more. But let's look at how this woman is described. She's described in heavenly language. In other words, she is adorned out of heaven. Go back and look at verse 1. There's a great sign in heaven. It's a woman clothed with the sun. Now, this is already wild, isn't it? Clothed with the sun, clothed with the moon. On her head is a crown of seven stars. Which would mean what? There's seven more suns around her head. That's a lot. Oh, is it 12? Thank you. It's a, it's a bunch. 12. Thank you. Thank you, Casey. 12 stars. Okay? This is a very Jewish thing. In other words, this is a God-born, God-blessed woman. Somebody say amen. And they're, they're calling on you some numbers here. It's one woman. That woman is the bride of God. This is, this is, this is that woman that God is so jealous for. This is Israel. And the reason she's got 12 stars, thank you for the correction, is because that is emblematic of the 12 tribes. This is Israel. Make no mistake about it. This is Israel. And she's described in this beautiful language. And, and I'll go ahead and tell you, it's a bit of a spoiler, the, the dragon is the devil. The child is born as Jesus. Say, so can we just pray and go to La Casina? Well, everybody with grace and grant, they're going to stay and we're going to get ready for them to get married. Amen. If you need to go ahead and leave, go ahead. Order me some chimichangas and leave it in my mailbox at my house. Actually, I don't even know what chimichangas are. Get me something else. This is Israel. This, this woman is clothed with the sun. I, I, I'll tell you. I, we just don't have time to get into it, but just write this down. Go study Genesis 37 tonight, and, and I'll give you the clue where you need to look. Look at Genesis 37, 9 through 11. I, I believe that, that this, this is an allusion, a direct reference, an allusion to the same dream that Joseph was having. This is God's girl. This is Israel. And she's beautiful. She's God-born, God-blessed, God-dressed. And God's got a blessing that's going to come from her. And what is this blessing? She's given birth to a son. Verse 2 tells us that it's painful in the process. The woman gives birth. Now, I want to tell you, you know, uh, why is this painful? Because birth is painful. Somebody say amen. But if you were just to stop and think of God's history with Israel, right, their relationship was painful. 
God is faithful, and um, I think the modern lingo, the best way I can be polite about it, Israel was a trick. <laughs> she was, just over and over again. But God is faithful when, when Israel gets herself in a fix. He just comes and he loves his bride, and he delivers her and rescues her over and over again. If you want to see that in the succinctest and wildest terms, go home and study the book of Judges. It's so beautiful, actually. Or if you want to see the clearest illustration, go home and read the first few chapters of Hosea. You know? What a wild story. A guy married to a lady named Gomer. That's already interesting. God loves this woman, Israel. And their relationship was rocky. Was it rocky because of God? Go ahead and say no. It was rocky because of Israel. But Israel is blessed again and again with the redeeming, delivering, good God, hand of God. And so then we get to this dragon. And this, 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 this dragon is described, and let's go ahead and, spoiler alert, it's the devil. It's Satan. They name him, right? No mystery here. It's, it's not simply illusion here. You get down into verse number 9, which we're not going to go there yet. And he just says, okay, in case you didn't get what we were saying, that's the devil. And, and the, 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 the devil, the devil here is described as a, a fearful, powerful dragon. And he appears, right? But he's not all powerful. And that's, that's important to remember. That's important to remember. I got to tell you all a funny story. And uh, you couldn't make this stuff up. As a matter of fact, this happened almost, almost within a stone's throw of, of my voice uh, on Broad Street. A creek splits it, and you have to go up to Main Street and go around. I was on Broad Street repossessing a car. It was my job. I had to do it. And this man opens a door to a house, and he has on a short leash. He, he has this Rottweiler, and that thing is barking, and he's, he got spit coming out of every part of his mouth. You know, And the man's holding the dog, and he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let my dog loose. And, and I, I pulled up the, I had two pistols. I grabbed the biggest one I had. And I told him I was going to shoot that dog. I, that dog was scaring me, but he wasn't going to bite me. That sucker was going to bite the bullet. <laughs> and I told that man, I said, you got a dog that got to come to me and bite. I got a dog that comes over there and bites you. That man literally went, come on inside, son. Come on, come on in. Can I help you, son? <laughs> All right, silly story. The dragon is scary. Somebody ought to say, hey, man, it's scary to think about a dragon. And, and we, I, I think God wants us to see how fearful he is. But don't you remember in other places, Satan is described as beautiful. He's so beautiful that it's no problem for Satan to be a deceiver. You know? I mean, you just think about it. You just think about it. If I came out and told you guys that I was Miss America, no one would be tricked. But if Carson came out swooping that hair all around, You got to be pretty to tell that lie. <laughs> I couldn't tell that lie and be believed, right? Satan is beautiful. I believe the Bible when it says that, but I think he's so beautiful that sometimes we miss how dangerous he is. 
We need to see him as God is showing us in this sign. We need to see him as this dragon. But he's a dragon who has to come to you and bite you, and we have a God that can bite right from where he's sitting. Yeah, and Satan is on a leash. Good point, Casey. Now, he's got seven diadems on, on his head, and what's that all about? Wow. He's got seven heads and ten horns, and, and what he's saying here is he's making claims of royal authority, and, he's, and I'll tell you exactly what that means. He's making them through many means and men's. In other words, all the people who misuse the authority God has given them is because Satan says, I have usurped it, and I'm ruling there. And that's what this is symbolic of. You think of all the fools who've ever had authority at any level, who have misused that authority, whether it was bad bossing, bad parenting, bad classroom management. I don't mean what we do from our weakness and mistakes. I mean what is, what is done in abuse, whether it's a, a Stalin or a Caesar or a Pharaoh where they have given over the gift of authority that God above has given them and let Satan usurp it just like he did in the garden, they have become one with him who desires to rule over God. And so we're getting a picture of that. But don't worry, he's not all powerful. But you see, he turns his vindictive hand toward the earth. Did you guys notice that? That he, he swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them, cast them to the earth? That's what it tells us in verse number four. In other words, a lot of the angels went with him in his rebellion. Wow. It's kind of wild, isn't it? And, they, and they, they had a primary role to devour the child. Wow. Now, now go back and read the stories in the Gospels of the birth of Jesus. Go back. We usually reserve those for Christmas. You shouldn't. Have Christmas in June. And see, see how Herod pursued. See, see how Pharaoh wanted to kill all those babies because that was, that, was that was the play being played out in miniature. That's what all the rumors of wars and rumors of wars are. They're always the great last battle being played out in miniature. They're no less severe, they're no less difficult, but they are less final. So he throws his vindictive hand. Let me tell you something. You run up on a preacher and they'll tell you something is, is ungodly or from the devil, and you, a lot of times you, you just think, that old preacher's a stick in the mud. Or if your parents are concerned about your music or the kind of people you're hanging around, I'll tell you, good godly leaders understand that that sneaky devil is trying to tear down every good and godly thing he can. He hates God. He hates what God loves. He, uh, I think Bob and I sat in, uh, over at Torero's for like 12 hours at lunchtime the other day. <laughs> just 12 hours just during the lunch hour. I finally told Bob, it was, I've been there so long I had to sign up for Social Security. We, and we talked about these very things, didn't we? Hates Israel, doesn't he, brother? Hates them. Hates anything God loves. Hates creation. I'll, I'll tell you, when the people say we're tearing our world up, it's because we are. 
The devil loves that. You know why he loves that? Because when God made everything, what did he call it? What did he call it? Every time he made something, he called it. Made man, called him what? And when we do a, when we do a, a marriage, say, well, God hath joined, let no man tear what? Why? Because that's a gift from God. And when someone tears it asunder, whether it's from within or without, it's the devil using the means of men's to do the meanness toward God. He hates God. And they're after this child. I'll tell you why. You already know why. This child is Jesus. Amen? And he's giving you some signs. And he's painting them in big pictures because we don't often see how dangerous these things are. We just don't. We, we don't often identify. These are the very dangers that are tearing our nerves slap up in this world right now. It's the work of Satan. Demonic activity everywhere. Anything that God has made and calls good, anything God has established and established according to his order, Satan wants to flip it, undo it, disgrace it. And he wants to use these things to separate people from himself and people from one another. What's God do? God sends a deliverer. And he pictured that deliverer over and over again. Again, Go read the book of Judges. Matter of fact, if, if, you, if, you, if, you, if you're sitting at home tonight and you're, you're, you're flicking through Netflix or Hulu or Scooby-Doo or YouTube, whatever you do, you know, you say, I just can't find anything. Go read Judges. It's a wild, it's a wild set of stories. And what it is is all these unlikely heroes, because all of them are unlikely, what makes it even possible that they be called heroes is that the God of the universe keeps delivering fools from their foolishness. Keeps delivering people out of the hand of Satan. Sometimes it's the very hand that foolish men have taken hold to. All of that is picturing, showing, showing us God's way over and over again that God is a rescuer, God is a deliverer. Verses 5 and 6 give us Jesus' ministry. And it describes it by its earthly beginning and the end. Go back and read verse 5. I won't, I won't labor this. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, but a child was called up to God to his throne. The whole ministry of Jesus in a short sentence. I, I don't know of anywhere more succinct. I used to say all the time, and, and, and this week I'm changing, I'm changing my tune, this very week. I used to say all the time, I don't know anywhere where the gospel is more succinct in 1 Corinthians 15. Psych, right here. <laughs> you, know, you know why it's so succinct? Because they were after the child. They thought they got the child. The child's crucified, dead, and buried. But on the third day, he rose, and he taught his disciples for 40 days and ascended. And on the 50th day after his resurrection, the day of Pentecost, the Holy Ghost came. And what he had been hammering into them for 30 years, and in 40 days, the Holy Ghost makes it come alive. That discipleship was there. The church was founded. And so probably, probably, God doesn't have a middle school mentality. Tim does. But if God did have a middle school mentality, Jesus is going, nah, nanny, boo-boo. <laughs> he did nothing. In the end, Satan will do nothing. We're in the middle, and it hurts. And the Bible tells us something interesting in verse number 6. 
the child is born and, caught, and, and does his work and is called up to God. And the Bible says that in my lingo, in my summation, the woman flees to the wilderness which God has prepared for her. So he goes after the child, who is Jesus, and the child is caught up to God. So what's he left to do? He can't touch anything that God doesn't let him touch. He goes after the woman. He hates Israel. You want to understand the first reasons for the Spanish Inquisition? It was to kill Jews. You want to understand what the Nazis did in the 1930s and 40s? It was to kill Jews. Now, you can say it was because nation states were operating in their own pleasure. They were operating at the hand of Satan. Wait a minute. So God is showing us, he's piling up all of history, but he's also, he time-bounds this. He says, so she'll be out there basically three and a half years. What's that all about? He's saying, in particular, in particular, all these other mirroring metaphors that, you know, they're metaphors to us. They were experiences to the woman Israel. They're showing us the way God works. They're showing us. But come the end, in those last days, Satan is really going to try to eat Israel up in a fresh way. The work is going to be bigger than it's ever been before. So it will make you think, if, I, if I'd have been alive, say, in 1945, and all those footages were coming out from Auschwitz and, and uh, Treblinka and all these places, I would have been going, my goodness. Is this it? If, I would have, if I'd have been alive then and knew my Bible just as much as I know it now, which I'm not saying is a lot, I don't want to know it more, I would be going, good googity moogity. But I think I would have felt that way when they were expelled from Spain and Algiers and England, and when the boat was refused in America in 1937, a whole shipload of Jewish people. So he's saying, this has happened over and over again, but in the end, it's going to be fierce. So uh, the child is Jesus, the woman is Israel, the devil hates the child. When he did his worst, and Jesus rose from the dead, he went after the woman in a fresh way, and he had always been going after her, and in the end, he's going to go after her in an even fresher way. I see time is flying. Let us turn our attention to the conflict in heaven. Let us turn our attention to the conflict in heaven. What has happened here in these preceding verses I mentioned is much of history has been explained, much of the present has been explained, and all of the future has been summed up and explained. I don't know if you noticed it, but it also goes after everybody else who loves God, loves Jesus. More on that toward the end of the passage, but don't miss that. Let us turn our attention to the conflict in heaven. First off, let us see this. There will be a war between Michael and the dragon. Now I'm glad this happened. I'm glad this is going to happen for a lot of reasons. The war has already been going on. Again, it's something from history, and the war will be completed at the time of the tribulation. Somebody says, I, I think this has already happened. Yeah, he's been cast down. But he's also been allowed to come in before God. Say, Tim, how do you know that? I know it from all kinds of things, but the clearest place is in the book of Job. In the book of Job, God is, is meeting with these, 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 these angels, these demons, and Satan comes up before him. And he goes, yo, Satan, what you been up to, bud? Well, I've been roaming around the earth, going here and going there. In other words, he's looking for who he could hate because he hates God. And so God says, 
So did you, did you try to get at my servant Job? And the devil goes, ah, old Job just loves you because you didn't bless him so much. And he says, well, do anything you want to him but hurt his body. And so Satan does everything to him but hurt his body. And Satan basically goes, yeah, he can lose his riches, he can lose his family, but if he lost his health, he would hate you. He says, okay, do everything but kill him. Next thing you know, old Job's sitting around scratching himself with a broken flower pot. Now, now Job, Job's, Job's self-centeredness is, and his pride is drawn out over the course of the next few months of his life. But you know what God was teaching all of humanity? That whoever he's got a hold to, that's what matters. He's got a hold to him. We don't have the capacity to hang on to God, but he has the capacity to hang on to us. But for our point here, the, the devil has been cast out from heaven, and he's had audience with God, but ultimately in the tribulation, they're going to be kicked out for good. Reminds me of this pool hall I used to go to. I got kicked out once a month, and finally they kicked me out for good. True story. Guy finally said, man, don't ever come back. That was after the second time I had busted the biggest window out of the place. That's a whole other story. There's a war. And there's something else you need to see here, brothers and sisters. A lot of times we think God and the devil are sort of in this power struggle. Nope. God is way more stronger than the devil. But who is on strength parallel with the devil? Another angel. And the devil's got homies. And guess who else has homies? Michael. And so God, God cuts them loose for an angel fight. Now, I don't know if we'll ever get an insight into this. I don't know if the elect will get to see this. But I can't lie, I kind of like to see it. This is like, uh, you know, what do they call that stuff, MMA? To the max. Angels fighting. And guess who wins? Michael and his gang win. Hallelujah. Amen. Now, there are, there are some groups, some entire religious groups who insist that Michael is Jesus. And I'm just going to tell y'all, he's not. And if you want to talk more about that, catch me one-on-one. Uh, you know, catch me outside. Catch me one-on-one. Uh, come to LT. Do some Q&A. Uh, but it's not. It's not. And, and, you know, go, just go read Jude. Jude is just a few verses long. Verse 9 will tell you Michael is a particular angel and it's not Jesus. Is that, as a matter of fact, it tells us in Jude that Michael couldn't even rebuke Satan. He had to ask God to rebuke Satan. If it was Jesus, he could have rebuked him. That's a whole other story. But there will be a war between Michael, the, the angel Michael, and the, the fallen angel Satan. And they'll line up and they'll scrap. And uh, hallelujah, hallelujah, they're going to lose. But there's a problem when they lose, they're just cast out of heaven fully and finally. Oh, my goodness, where are they cast to? Fully and finally to the earth. And I, I believe at this point we're at the midway of the tribulation. I don't need to name the day. I'm told not to name the day. I don't need to give you my theory on how long that will last, when it will happen, what decade it will come, what century it will come. I'm just here to tell you I believe it's coming. And I don't believe anybody's going to mistake when it comes. And if you want to, just if you're, if, you're, if you're a nerd, 
is that if, if your nerd is at zenith tonight, just go home and start reading Paradise Lost, and Milton has an awesome description of what he thought this battle looks like. I was going to read it until I just looked at my watch, and I'm not going to read it. It's awesome, though. It's, uh, it's worth to read. So then, Satan and his angels are finally fully cast out of heaven. Praise God. Church, say amen. And, and, uh, and we could talk about that, but I'm, I probably should move on. Let me, let me just say this, that at that, there's a joyful declaration in heaven. There's a joyful declaration in heaven. Heaven goes, woo! It said, man, wow, we love this, the accuser of our brethren. So you know who's crying out at this point? The elect of God, who are in heaven at that point. How do I know that? Because it's the accuser of our brethren. Who's he accusing? The church. I like this. And it tells us that they overcame him by the blood of the lamb. Wow. Now, I could do literally a sermon series on what that means. But what it amounts to is this, the accusations that Satan leveled against the people of God mean nothing because Jesus paid it all. Everything he would accuse, like if he, uh, Casey, you ever told a lie? So Satan could call you a liar. And actually the accusation could be founded. Carson, you ever dishonored your mom or dad ever in your life? He could say, you know, you broke the fifth commandment, and he'd be accurate, right? And here's what overcomes him, that even when the great deceiver tells the truth about the people of God, there's a truth bigger than the truth, that Jesus paid it all. The blood of the lamb covers the sin of the saints. And so... There's so much more that should, could be said. Let me, let me fast forward. Now let's turn our attention to the conflict on earth in closing. It tells us that in this, in this last time, Satan's been attacking Israel. He's been attacking everything born out of Israel. Anybody want to take a, a, a great guess, God's favorite thing born out of Israel? Anybody want to take a guess? Favorite thing born out of Israel? Jesus. Second favorite thing born out of Israel? Anybody? All right. That's why, I, 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 that's why, I really, you're more kin to Moses than you are to your lost grandparent. You ever thought about that? Or pick, pick you know, your, your lost brother, your lost sister. You're more related to Moses. You're more related to Joseph. That's wild, isn't it? I'm kind of glad. I don't like some of my kin folks. Oh, wait a minute. My brother, I didn't say that, David. He, he's not one. <laughs> you ever thought about that? That, that, that? That's our heritage. Our heritage is Israel. Isn't that beautiful? So Satan attacks the woman, and at the end times, he's going to attack her something fierce. And I love it that the Bible says that God has prepared a place for her. Satan hates God, hates what God loves, hates Israel, Hates the son that God wed himself to Israel to birth. Hates who God drew into Israel through Jesus. Hates him. But he's also prepared a place to protect Israel. 
And then to close, I hope you guys noticed verse 17. Then the dragon became furious with the woman. <laughs> Why? Because he couldn't do to her all he wanted to. And went off to make war on the rest of her offspring. I told you it was in the Bible. Wow. You could sum it up and say, and I have said it, but I'm mean, going to just point it out to you. You could sum it up and say, Satan hates everything God loves. I love, this is my paraphrase. I think of it in my paraphrase a lot. This is my paraphrase of Isaiah 59, 19. It says, when the enemy comes like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. I, I just see something beautiful in how God has a plan to protect Israel. I see something beautiful of how God takes it personal when his children, his saints, the redeemed are attacked. God takes it personal. And it just tells us plain as day that he goes after the rest of our offspring. Who are they? Those who keep the commandments. They are those who have entered into the moral, law-driven family of God, those who love Jesus. Wow. Didn't I tell y'all was a lot here? And next week, some beasts. Yes. I feel like I'm the only one really excited. I feel like I need a juice box right now. Now, let me, I should shut my notes. There's still so many pages. Where's the application here? I'll tell my application through Uncle Noah. If you know the story of Noah at all, God gave this man a word. It was the grace of God that gave Noah a word. The Bible tells us that everybody was wicked. God has grace on Noah and reveals to Noah something important. What's he reveal? The water fitting to get deep. And he says, I want you to build this thing. It's, it's silly to call the ark a boat. It's a, it's a very unique, one-of-a-kind thing. As a matter of fact, let me throw a commercial. If you haven't been to the Ark Experience up in northern Kentucky, go. We took some of the young people a few years ago. Now they're old. So some of y'all should take some more young people. <laughs> it's awesome, right? Build this Ark. He does it for, anybody remember how long? 120 years. So there's this testimony right out in front of everybody's face. But by the time that God seals some people onto the ark, God does it. God shuts it. God seals it. Now, this is all the Bible says was on that boat. And I believe this is the whole inventory. Noah, his wife, his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, all you people of childbearing age, good recommended names, particularly Shem. No, I like Japheth better. And their wives. So, that's four couples. God shuts the ark and God seals the ark. Rains for 40 days, 40 nights, covers the whole entire earth. Somebody said, that's too unbelievable for me. I can't believe that every culture has a flood story. You can go up on top of a 16,000 foot mountain, well, 15,500 feet. That's the highest I've ever been. And I saw river rocks. Or what we call around here, 
tater rocks. <laughs> Smooth, 15,500 foot above sea level. What does God do? God preserves him for himself a people. And it wasn't that they were that great of a people. Noah wasn't that great. The way he celebrates is to sort of be depressed about how God worked, and he goes off and gets towed up. He was drinking watermelon wine or something. The story isn't about Noah being a great guy. It's a story about how a, how a great God rescues sinners. And he preserves for himself a people. You know why I believe he gave us the revelation ahead of time? It's because he wants us to see that something way worse than a global flood is coming. And he is right now preserving for himself a people that will be a testimony against Satan, that will be a point of his glory. He is preserving for himself a people that will be his very own. He has made a promise to Israel, and he has broadened his promise to Israel to the world. He's invited Gentiles in, and that's most of y'all, most of us. And when I read this, I say, man, something way worse than a flood is coming, and I want to live a life that's both a testimony and a proclamation that there's room in the ark of God for you. What is our ark today, brothers and sisters? It is the Lord Jesus. There's this song Brett and I love. Uh, a bluegrass guy took a French song and made it better than the French ever could, trust me. It's called 50 Miles of Elbow Room. Brett loves it so much, if you start playing this bluegrass song, he'll dance like he's in one of those fight pits. It's kind of fun to see. I should start playing it right now. All right. And the idea is there's plenty of room for anybody to come into this family with us. Why do I tell you this? This is the story that the flood's coming. What are we doing? We're walking and working with God, believing it to be so. It's going to be bad, and God is going to be good. Wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great to tell others about this ark, this ark of Christ? Maybe tonight you never come on board. Hey, Earl, here's your ticket. It's Jesus. He bids you come to him, all you who are weary and heavy laden, all you who have, who have been beaten down by the flesh, by the world, by the enemy, and you need rescue. Come and find it in Jesus. You saints who know him, rest in him. Rest in him. The dragon is scary, but our God is stronger. And when you live in these fearful times, don't think we have to play the devil's games. We can understand what the devil's doing without playing, his, playing it his way. Revelation 12 and 13 show me that God's going to finish what he started in every way. With Israel, and with that born out of Israel, and with Satan and all the fools that follow Satan. It really comes down to a huge cosmic war. And I hate to say it like this, we're either with God or we're not. Jesus actually said it like that. You're either with me or you're what? Look how many people knew that Bible verse. Where's the gray area in that? 
I had a friend who used to like to say, he'd do just like this. He'd say, there's nothing between us but air and opportunity. <laughs> there went the air. There's nothing stopping anybody from coming to Jesus in this room tonight. Do you know him today? Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus was raised from the dead. Believe he is the way to safety, and you'll be saved. Let's pray. Lord, I'll be honest. I didn't even know if I could do it. So thank you for doing it. God, I pray your word, your word, seeing these cosmic stories, I pray that your church can see clearly what's going on around us. And that with this understanding, our prayer lives would be ignited. Our pursuit of holiness would be enriched. Our trust and our rest in you and your plan would be more and more settled. And we would become a people who are just faithful in our days until the end of days. And Lord, I pray that if there's any soul that is yet to receive your invitation to come into covenant, I pray you give them the life that only the Spirit can give, and that you give them the faith that only you can grant, and that they return it to you and put their faith in Jesus. In Christ I pray, amen and amen.